Did you ever think of a friend that you haven't spoken to in a long time, and this friend randomly calls you out of the blue at that moment, that led you to an awesome opportunity for you? Or you were in the middle of a major life decision, and you saw or heard something that made you think of which way to go? I'm a firm believer that there is no such thing as a coincidence, and that serendipities do lead to your success. I'm Amira Gad. I'm hosting this podcast because I've always had the most bizarre but hilarious serendipities, and realized that what you resist persists. I'm interviewing successful individuals about their serendipities and how they led them to who they are now. Expect to be blown away by ironies, laugh, and also be inspired by their unique stories from this podcast every week. I hope you enjoy it and that it'll make you smile as well as inspire you to pay attention to the doors that will lead you to your success. Everybody, this is Amira with Serendipities to Success. We have today Terry Edson. He's an amazing, amazing gentleman who is a teacher at a high school, and he's a retired football coach as well. And I've heard about him so many times. I've heard great things about him. This is why I have him as a guest today. So let us welcome him. Hello, Terry. How are you? Hello, Amira. How are you? And I'm so honored to have you here today on the podcast. I'm interviewing you because I've heard that you've had a lot of serendipities in your career and in your life, and I just wanted to ask you about them. First of all, when did you start noticing those? Well, probably out of high school into college, and when I started my career in teaching, and then at De La Salle High School, and as my career moved on, and as as my coaching career moved on, and as things became more successful for me as a teacher and a coach, but mostly I think I'm probably known more for being a part of Dallas South's football program because we were, you know, a nationally ranked team for years. We've been in the state, you know, we're in the state championship for since like, I don't know, 11 consecutive years. And we had a national uh, winning streak of 151 games. It still stands and got a lot of notoriety. And back then I was also the athletic director. So as I look back at my life and, And how did I get to this point? I mean, uh, I was in no way, shape or form when I was growing up, did I ever have any plan of being a teacher of coaching or any of this? It it all kind of fell into place. And I'd be glad to, you know, talk a little bit about my story and and what happened. (laughs) Yes, let's hear yeah, so, you know, I grew up in suburbia in Castro Valley. It's in Northern California. It's in the Bay Area. I was the youngest of four. You know, something that was real important to my father was that, you know, that his kids got a good education and that, you know, that it was always, you know, secondary education with college and stuff. So he was always big on that. And for me, my dad was a law book salesman. This is way, you know, long before the internet. So he actually worked for Bancroft Whitney that sold law books to lawyers. So he was a law book salesman. They would have to buy their law books to stay up to date on cases and precedents and stuff like that. So as a young man, I was always really talkative because I was the youngest and had to get my (laughs) words in and all that. So my dad 
always had me pegged to be a lawyer. You know, that was the whole thing. He goes, you're going to be my lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a great lawyer. So I just kind of grew up thinking that I was going to be a lawyer my whole life. That was going to be my plan. And I, as I was going through high school one day, I was, remember I was only 14. So you got to think about the shallowness of being a 14 year old male. So uh, <laughs> I, have one I, watched, right now. <laughs> a, <laughs> I watched UCLA, UCUSC football game one day and they banned the stands and I just saw the student body and all the all the girls, the beautiful girls. And I said, I'm going to UCLA. That's where I'm going to go. So that was my goal back then. And so as I graduated, you know, I went to Moreau High School, which is a Catholic high school in, in Hayward. And my plan was to always go to UCLA, but I decided I wasn't ready to leave home. So I went to Cal State Hayward for a couple of years, and then I did. I, I transferred down to UCLA because they also had a, a great law school and a great pre-law program. So I, I was a political science major, and I was completely immersed in myself and wanting to become a lawyer. But along the way, my senior year in high school, we had what we call in Catholic schools called senior retreat, where you kind of get away for a couple of days with your classmates we actually went up uh, to St. Helena, and this retreat house was run by the Christian Brothers. So it wasn't even the group of the order that I, I was with the Brothers of Holy Cross at Moreau. This was the Christian Brothers, which is a different religious order. But they ran retreats, and they had a staff up there that ran retreats. And so I was reluctant to go, but my best friend had gone, and they were really pushing me. You got to go and really be good for you. I go, you know, I don't like all that touchy-feely stuff and all that. They go, no, you got to go. So I did go. And on the retreat, I had a group leader. His name was Dana Kellogg. And one of the exercises was a reconciliation exercise. And you could go up and talk to anybody there that was a group leader, or they had a priest if you wanted just you know, not so much uh, reveal all your sins, but there's something you wanted to get off your chest and talk to them about that would be the time to do that. And they gave you some quiet time. They gave you some time to write a letter to someone, maybe if you felt like you needed to be reconciled with. So it's that kind of exercise. It's like an hour and a half or so. So we were in the chapel. And to be honest with you, I don't know why I went up to Dana Kellogg, but I do. I told him something. What I told him, I can't remember. But what he told me, I never forgot. And he looked at me and he was like six foot three. He had red hair and he had green eyes. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And he looked at me and I we talking and, and he said, you know, I could see you working up here someday and working with kids. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sure you say that to a lot of people. And he got like mad and he goes, no, I don't say that to hardly anybody. So that kind of changed my plan. So now my plan was, okay, I'm going to go to law school. But I was thinking, you know, that sounds like a fun thing. So maybe I'll take a gap years, which we call it now. Yeah. We didn't call it gap years back then. I go, I'll go work at the retreat house for a year. Okay. And then I'll apply to law school and, you know, take the LSATs and all that and apply to law school. So that became my, my new plan. So while I was in college at UCLA, I still was in connection with a Christian brother named John Moriarty. Rest in peace, John. And when I was a senior, we had a conversation and he talked to me about, you know, joining the Christian brothers. And I wasn't on board with that. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids of my own. But I was interested in the theological and the spiritual aspect of the brothers and the prayer life and and that did interest me. I'd gone to Catholic school my whole life. And, and that was something I thought I might want to explore. 
So he convinced me to go to St. Mary's College as a graduate student, and I'd be living in community with a bunch of undergraduates and just learn about the brothers and see if that's something that you wanted to do. And the other thing about the Christian brothers, it's a teaching order as well. So anybody that goes into the Christian brothers, it's because you want to get into education. Okay. So instead of going to the retreat house, I decided to spend that year at St. Mary's College with the brothers, would kind of learn the lifestyle of the brothers, which was, you know, prayer, morning prayer, mass every day. But I was still going to school, but I was already a graduate and I was living with a bunch of undergraduate students. So I started taking uh, theology classes at St. Mary's College, undergrad theology class. And I also started working on my teaching credentials. Well, I had an Old Testament class with a, a great professor named John Dwyer, and I, I just fell in love with theology and, and, and learning about scripture. And he got me totally immersed into it. And it was a great discussion-oriented class. And he was like one of the best teachers I've ever had. And I just started thinking, you know, I'm this is something I might want to do is get involved in teaching. And it's funny because he never thought about it. And then that no, was, never thought about being like a, a detour teacher in your ever. life. And, yeah. And when I went to the brothers, you know, my dad was like, you know, my mom was totally excited for me. My my dad was like what do you mean you're going to join a religious order? You know, it's like, what's all that college education for? You know, so uh, he was not on board with me being a teacher at all. So as time went on and I started that first year with the brothers, I really realized that I loved the brothers and I loved what they were doing, but there is no way I, I was going to be able to lead. One of their vows is celibacy and which means, you know, you can't be married. And I go, I just, I'm just not going to be able to do that. That's just not in my DNA. <laughs> so I applied, actually, I just told them that I was going to be, you know, going on, but I, I felt like I wanted to continue on becoming a teacher. So I continued on with the of my education at St. Mary's with my credential. And you never and done the LSAT or you, you no, never, took never took it, never did any of it. No. And so decided that there's two jobs opened up. One of them was my old high school at Moreau, where I could coach, and which I've always had a love for sports. And so becoming a, anybody will tell you that grew up with me, you know, when I was on the playground, I was always calling the plays, all that. So I always wanted to be a coach. And so that that's the kind of lifestyle, the life I felt that I was going to do. And I was when I was in college, I coached our fraternity team. Uh, we had a softball team and we won the fraternity championship and I was the coach. And I made them practice and they're all mad at me and all that. And then, and it's like, if you don't practice, you're not playing and all that. So it's so I just kind of started getting the taste for coaching then. And, you know, we won the fraternity championship and I became a hero in the fraternity because we won it all. And I started thinking like, you know, this coaching and uh, that sounds like something I'd like to do someday as well. So turned out Moreau offered me a job. And, but then also De La Salle High School, which was the Christian Brothers School, which, you know, I just spent a year learning about and all that. They didn't offer me the job, but they said, don't take the Moreau job. And I said, well, I need a job, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be leaving here and I need to, you know, I'm not going to live with my parents the rest of my life. And they said, just don't take it and trust me. So I didn't, I turned down the Moreau job and lo and behold, a couple of months later, I did get hired at De La Salle High School as uh, religious studies and then also social studies because that my degree was in political science. But even though I took the undergrad theology classes, I decided I want to continue my education, not only as giving my credential, 
at St. Mary's, but then I got involved in a master's program in theology at St. Mary's College, which was a a summer program, which was a five-year program. And eventually, just like I said, the religious studies part of it just took over. And that's where I, you know, for the last 38 years, I've just been teaching religious studies solely at Del Sol High School. But the key thing is, not only did now I'm at Del Sol High School, you know, I, I get to meet Bob Latticer, who is widely regarded as the greatest high school football coach of all time. So here I am, you know, in no way, shape or form was I ever going to get involved in education, was ever going to be involved in coaching. And now here I am coaching with probably the greatest greatest mentor of all time for high school coaches. So, you know, Bob and I, I started out as a JV coach for one year as assistant. Then somehow after one year, and I hardly knew, I mean, I'm just learning the game myself and learning De La Salle's offense and what we're defense. And, and Bob decided he thought it'd be a good idea if I became the head JV coach. And I'm like, what, are you kidding me? I don't even know. He goes, you'll be fine. Don't worry. So <laughs> you'll be fine. real interesting. You know, he had a lot of confidence in me and that put some confidence in myself that this guy believed in me. So I was a JV coach for a couple of years and did okay there. And Bob saw that. And then he brought me on to the varsity in 1984. And I, I, like I said, I coached with him for I think like 33 years, 32, 32, 33 years wow. after that. But along the way, though, my first year coach, a friend of mine in the brothers that I knew his name was Pat McKenney. He was in the brothers with me. He left as well, and he became a youth group minister at, at a local parish in Danville by, you know, in the Bay Area, down by De La Salle, like 15 minutes away, called St. Isidore's. And so he invited me to guest speak. I was, we were talking, I think it was on the Gospel of Mark or something like that. He said, hey, you want to come and be a guest speaker? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So I became, you know, I went that night and then he introduced me to the rest of the staff. Well, lo and behold, one of the members of his staff down the road became my wife. So that night, oh, I didn't I know it at that. the time, but he introduced me and then I, a couple... It was was interesting, though, that I met her in October, and then there was a potluck dinner he had in January. He actually was uh, house-sitting for the Christian brother, for the first-year brothers, because they uh, in St. Mary's, they have a Jan term, which is one month of just kind of, you take any kind of uh, class you want at St. Mary's. It's kind of a fun thing they do at St. Mary's, the Jan term, it's called just one month. And so the first year brothers went up to the brothers campground up in Gurney and Duncan Mills, which is by Gurneyville. And so they actually, when I was there, I actually took a class in the Psalms and spirituality. So he was house sitting for them and he had his youth group over for dinner potluck dinner and I showed up and there's, you know, there's her name's Aggie and he introduced me to her. This is Aggie. And she goes, yeah, we met before. And I go, I don't think I've ever met you before. And she goes, yeah, I met you the night you came down to St. Isidore. So I was like, oh, I don't think I'd forget you and all that. So we eventually, they said, you know, that they put us together and I asked her out. And, and that was 19, the fall of 19, the spring of uh, 1982. And I love um, that. I love we've that. We've been but together ever since. <laughs> so, uh, if I hadn't joined the brothers, you know, if I hadn't gone on that retreat, and here's the bottom line, and I think it's really interesting, is yeah. Dana Kellogg, who, this is the interesting thing I think about as I look back at my life. I haven't seen Dana Kellogg since the day I was on senior retreat. I have no idea where Dana Kellogg lives. I don't even know. I mean, I'm 
I'm not trying to be morose, but I don't even know if Dana Kellogg's still alive. <laughs> I have I have no idea what he's doing. But he's he his purpose for you. like Right, but his like, purpose was yeah. just telling me, I think you could, you know, you could work with others. It was the first time someone put in my brain that, you know, I could, I should be working with kids. And it's so uh, then I so go it's, into it's, the, yeah. Yeah, your friend told you to go and, and only for you to meet this person. Right. The guy, like you said, I met him at the brothers. If I hadn't yeah. met Dana, I wouldn't have gone to St. If I hadn't gone to St. Mary's, I wouldn't have gotten involved in theology and this whole teaching thing. And then my friend who I met at St. Mary's ends up, you know, I end up meeting my wife through him. And I don't know, it's my, as I, as I started teaching and coaching and I started actually one day I, I was on senior retreat and I had to give a talk and my talk was about how God works in mysterious ways. And then I just started thinking about all the blessings I've had because of the road and the path that I chose to take, which was a path I never thought I was going to go on, but it took someone I didn't even know to tell me that, I know. you know, this is a path maybe you should think about. And it changed my whole life. I mean, I think I talk about my daughters and, you know, I never would have had my family and just everything uh, just completely. Scary thought. If you didn't that, right. have those, right? Like now that you know that you have these people in your life, imagine if you went the other way and, and you've never met any of, you know, your wife or your, your friends and your, your coworkers. My colleagues. Um, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. That would, yeah. would have been so scary because, you know, but, but in the same time you said God works in mysterious ways and I totally believe in this and then you you didn't even talk about furthermore about the movie which I think if you didn't take that path you wouldn't have been a character in a really good movie about football so I want you to talk about that as well well that, that's also you know this was an interesting story too so I was the athletic director and as we got through the, as we started going in the winning streak, when we broke the winning streak, you know, there was, that, that became a national story. And I, I, I got asked, you know, and I, I was, I'm the type of person, you know, that I don't, you know, I was like, if someone is interested in what we're doing or, you know, I felt like I was a spokesperson for the school. So I didn't, I never turned down any interviews. I didn't say, you know, I, you know, I, I don't, what, this sounds like a small newspaper. I'm not doing that. I mean, I took on every single interview that you could imagine. And we did radio shows and so many different things. And I, the question always came about to us is like, Hey, how do you guys do it? You know, how do you, how did you get to on? And we answered that. We got so tired of answering that question. Well, it just so happened there was a local writer that did sports at our paper, a local paper called the Contra Costa times. His name was Neil Hayes. And he wanted, you know, to follow us and track us. And he wanted to write a book and he kept going to Bob. He goes, I really want to write a book about this program. Bob's like, nah, you know, Bob stayed out of the limelight for as much success. Yeah. He's like the exact opposite of what you see today in the, in the world of sports. I mean, he stays out of the limelight. He stayed out of the limelight as much as possible. He couldn't stand, you know, talk. He didn't want to stand about talking about himself or, and, you know, he just, he'd love to talk about his team, but you know, he just did, he just wanted to do his job and be left alone was what he went about it. So I was always, you know, running interference for him. And Neil Hayes, you know, he kept bugging him to write this book. And he kept going, you know, this Hayes, he keeps bothering me. And I go, look, it. I go, I don't know about you. I go, I am so tired of answering questions. How do we do it? I go, if he writes this book, when people say, how do we do it? How do we do it? Just say, it's all in the book. Just read the book and you can, you have all your answers. I go, he goes, 
you know, that's not a bad idea. So he goes, well, you work it out with them. So I went to Neil and I said, look, the only way we'll let you do this, if you really want to get our story, is you have to be there from the very beginning, the first day of workouts, in the off season to the end of the season. If you're willing to follow us every day, and or you know, or at least, you know, not maybe not every day, but five days, you know, to be there all the time and get the real story, I go, then we'll let you do that. And he goes, no, I'm willing to do that. So he did. And so he t- followed us every single day and he followed us for a straight year. I love it. I love and it. And so he wrote the book and, you know, different people wanted to make a movie and all that, but and another, I guess, you know, serendipity struck again. So there was a guy that worked for Sony Pictures and his son, I, I'm, you know, I'm drawing a blank. I know it's in Southern California, he played in a, for a high school football team. I do know his son went on to play at Harvard, so uh, football <laughs> at Harvard, but I forget what school his son went to, but he was helping the football coach clean up after the end of the season with in their equipment room. And in his equipment room, he saw this book when the game stands tall and and he asked the coach, he goes, what are these? He goes, Oh yeah. You you know, you can have it if you want. And so he started reading the book. And like I said, he worked for Sony pictures Mm -hmm. and he worked, he did a lot of the work with the, what they would, you know, what they put it down is kind of like the Christian division or the, you know, the spirituality division, like they did uh soul surfer. I don't know if you ever saw that movie yes. about Bethany Hamilton, yes. the girl, the surfer and all that. Yeah. Right. So he read the book and he got in touch with Neil and this was about, you know, six or seven years after the book was written. And he said, I'm really interested. I want to do, you know, I'm thinking of doing a movie off your book. So he started coming up to De La Salle with Thomas Carter. This was David Zelon and Thomas Carter. He picked him as the director and they started, they started coming to practice and they came to some of our team meetings. They wanted to go to get, get a feel of the team. How exciting. Yeah. They actually tracked us for two seasons. Then a script started and then script got written and movie got made. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. It also gross. Like I know the budget was like 15 million and then you ended up making like 40 million. Did You know, it did. Okay. I'm sure they (laughs) But it's exciting that you it. you were one of the but, characters in the movie, and then yeah, Michael Chiklis played my character. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a funny so, dude. Did your yeah, dad so. know about that? Like, was he able to see the movie? They actually shot the movie in New Orleans, Newman High School, which is where all the Mannings, the court, you know, the the famous Manning, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, where they played high school. So they shot the movie there, and the last week of the film, we were out of school. So they brought us out there for the last week of shooting. And we got to meet all the characters, you know, and some, you know, Alexander Ludwig, who did, (laughs) did Hunger Games. You know, that, that probably the highlight of the, the whole experience for me was my daughters who were like, I think 16 or I think 15 and 18 at the time got to meet Alexander Ludwig. So that was, I was the dad of the year. After dad I of the year. I actually, <laughs> I love the first it. night I was there, because my daughter actually had a poster of the Hunger Games and she loved Alexander <laughs> Ludwig. <love> and <laughs> they're both dancers. She was a dance. My wife's a dance teacher and she taught my daughter's dance at her studio. So she was a dance. 
And I said, Alexander, will you just, I know she's not going to answer. So could you just leave a voicemail for my daughter, Hannah? Just say, just say hi. He goes, oh yeah, that'll be great. And all that. So yeah. So he left her voice message. Uh, he was <laughs> I hey Hannah, I know you're dance right now. It's Alexander Ludwig. And she went crazy over that. <laughs> but the weirdest thing about the whole experience though, was Bob and I walking on, they're shooting at night. They're doing night shooting. So it's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And everyone's on set and all the actors are there and all that. All the younger guys, there's a younger, the movie, you know, the lot of those kids were in their you know early 20s and all that because mm-hmm. they're playing high school kids and all that. So they're mm-hmm. all out there. And Bob and I started walking onto the field and you could see them all stop. And they're staring at us like, there they are. It's like, this is really uncomfortable right now. So it was great. Everyone was super nice. Laura Dern, she played Bob's wife. She was super nice. And Jim Caviezel, he's a diehard Christian. So a diehard Catholic, actually. So, uh, you know, so everyone on the set, you know, they're really nice to us. That was and, ex- that's uh, a very, yeah. very exciting experience. Yeah, it was fun. And we got to go to New Orleans, too, for a week. So, yeah, that was nice. So. So. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm happy you, you're you're not a lawyer. I'm happy that this happened to you because this sounds like a, a whole different life story, right? I think about it all the time. I mean, it's kind of like uh, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, if you weren't here, look what would have happened, you know, yeah. and my whole life took a different turn because... You because know, you listen to your friend. I listen to my friend. And I, I always like to say, you know, I, I, I don't want people thinking I'm a kook or anything like that. But I, I like to say, too, that I kind of listened to my soul and what it was telling me. Exactly. And it, it just put, you know, I believe in, you know, that we all have a vocation. And if you just listen to your heart and your soul, that it'll take you to where, you know, you really, really need to be. And there is no doubt about it that once I got in the classroom and I started teaching when I was younger, I said to myself, you know, this is where I belong. And this is where I was meant to be. And you even a- knew and you felt it. And one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is not just to share these amazing, amazing stories from people like yourself, but also to show people the power and the magic of showing up. You showed up. If you, yeah. if you didn't know to your friend, because whatever, the course of your life wouldn't have been where it is right now. It's like a butterfly effect. I tell people, you know, success, it, there's a lot of variables to success, you know, like education, working hard, investing in yourself with time and money, whatnot. But then also there's the, the showing up part when you show up and when you also trust the process, like you say, you follow your intuition, you felt the soul and the pull in your soul and you followed your intuition against what your dad dreamed of for for you, you know, and you could have said like, oh, I invested so much time at UCLA with law classes, but you literally took the risk and you just kept on showing up. And the more you showed up, the more things happened for you and unfolded. Yeah. And that was a five year list. That was just one year. My dad and my mom for like five straight years were like, okay, when are you going to give up the teaching gig? (laughs) And when are you going to get a real job? Because you know, uh, Catholic schools back in the 80s wasn't a high paying job. My yes. dad being a depression kid could not understand how anybody could get a college degree and make the kind of money I was making. But, you know, then I think when they saw how happy I was, and they realized that this was really my love. And then, then also De La Salle football started winning and becoming more famous. Then my dad was like, 
Bragging. Oh yeah, my son coaches at Del South. Yeah, yeah, he was so, probably bragging uh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that changed pretty dramatically as well. He started coming to games and all that. Yeah, so yeah, that's it was awesome. Pretty funny, but <laughs> it was a process. They they tried talking me out of it for quite a few years. Well, I'm you glad. Know, you, just, I'm glad that you. Knew. Yeah, you pushed through and you and you just followed your intuition and your gut feeling. I have a little coincidence right now that you're talking about this about this because I have a friend of mine who just told me about his life story. And he had mentioned that he at 14 years old, like yourself, he was Catholic, and he wanted to be in the brotherhood as well. And I don't know much about it. And I almost wanted to research about because you just talked to me about it recently. But then you you just explained it to me today. So okay, yeah, or it might have been the seminary too. How old is he? Oh, right now he's 50. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just wondering if it was a seminary becoming a priest, maybe. All I know that he was saying that he wanted to be a brother. Might become a religious <laughs> life, right? Bob, is yeah, the yeah. Line, right? yeah. Yeah, but I, I, it's funny because I was curious and I wanted to research about it, like to understand the term brother. And now you explained right. it to me today without me asking. Oh. So I don't <laughs> know, it's, you know, it's a coincidence, like, but... It's also the power of manifestation. Our thoughts are very uh, strong, you know, and I was thinking about it. I was curious about it, you know, and you just went ahead and without me knowing. And then I, one of my first podcast episode interviewed a band called Sons of Serendip and the front man, he also was in some sorts of what you did and he actually studied theology. So oh, nice. Yes. And I just interviewed them last week. So it's funny that we're talking about this again. So, but anyways... I love your stories. I love it. What do you want to tell the listeners about what you're doing right now and how, if you want to be reached out to? I know that you have a podcast called De La Pod. <laughs> I love the title. If you want people to listen to the podcast, just let oh, me yeah, know. The first, I was on the first one. That would kind of talked about my coaching career and stuff. Also, I did a local one here with some local news guys about it's Friday night lights or I forget the seven yeah. o'clock Friday night. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the... Like I said, if, you know, anybody interested in coaching, I think uh, When the Game Stands Tall is a great book, you know, to, about leadership and about working with young people and getting them to becoming a team. I think it's a blueprint for anybody that would, is not just football or any, any sport. I think it works. There's a lot of principles. My wife has a competition dance team. She uses a lot of principles we use for the football program. She uses that to build her dance team. So, and of course the head coach has talked to, you know, he's talked corporate businesses throughout the, over the years and stuff about, you know, so the book uh, does, I think it does a great job. If you kind of want to look into something like that, you're becoming a young coach. And what we like to say, you know, when you're, you know, it's not about, you know, the wins will come. It's it's about building a team, building a commitment with each other and teaching kids accountability. And that's what the, really that's really what the winning streak was about and teaching kids to take responsibility for each other. And and for once, thinking about others and not just themselves, which is hard to do today in this world Absolutely. of social media. But, Absolutely. you know, it, it worked for us and, uh, you know, it can be done. It takes some work. There's no doubt about it. But like I said, that's a, a good starting point is, is for a young coach. You know, the movie, if you can find it, is decent. But I think the book really spells it out. I mean, like all books, you know, they do a much better job, I think, than getting the point across the movie. Although the movie does kind of does talk about what our program was about and it got, a, it got a good understanding of the values we tried to teach uh, as coaches. So they did, a, I know the director was really, that was really important for him to bring out the values of our program. So 
he did a good job with that. But, you know, I'm still teaching at De La Salle High School. I'm on their website there. If anybody had, you know, any questions, they could definitely email me. I, every once in a while, and I, we, I still get an email from people, <laughs> of coaches out there. Since I'm retired, not as much anymore. But, you know, I, I'm always enjoying talking to people and having discussions about, you know, life. And especially, like I said, with me, it's a lot. Most of the time it's been about coaching and how to, to reach young men and women so you're meant to always teach right <laughs> yeah that's i kind of feel like that's yeah you know and i just i've always had it and that's you no know, of course like anything you know I've, I've had a great passion for it and and he saw it in you yeah he did interesting terry thank you so so much i've enjoyed interviewing you today uh, you have an incredible incredible story and lots of serendipities in here it makes me i try nonsense. to stay with the theme as much as i could yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And but you I, have, you have. It wasn't a reach, though. It's actually true. So it there is. You go. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And everybody, you know where to reach Terry. And thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. All right. Wow. I enjoyed interviewing Terry very much and had lots of takeaways from his amazing stories. Terry's takeaways are pay attention to invitations. You never know who you'll meet. Sometimes you plan, but you end up with an unexpected change of plans called redirection. These redirections are meant to take you to where you're supposed to be. God works in mysterious ways. Take every opportunity you can. Be humble. Listen to your soul and what it tells you. Also, listen to your heart. By listening to your heart and soul, it will take you to where you really need to be. We all have a vocation. It's not about the winds. The winds will come. But it's about building a team and having accountability. Think about others and not just ourselves. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email Terry at itsint at dlshs.org. I will type it in the notes. To learn more about the full story, you can read the book or watch the movie When the Game Stands Tall. See you next time.